California love. Oh, wait, different California song. Hi, guys. It's the gang back again to do another podcast episode. One pant leg up. Um, yes, hello. We've got a really fun, well, it's not really that fun episode today because somebody dies, which is not fun. Um, but it's a very interesting story and a very talented musician. Yeah. And we cannot wait to tell it. And we're fun. It's going to be fun. We're Death by Music Podcast. I am Drew, sitting here with Alex and Cassie. We are covering Mama Cass today, the Mamas and the Papas. Cass Elliot. She's an incredible singer, and she died very young. Another one who died at 32, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so we had John Bonham. Yeah, at 32 was also Keith Moon, but we haven't done that yet. Right. Was he? He was the one in the the same same room. room. Yeah. Wait, Keith Moon and Mama Cass? Yeah, Yeah. they died in the same room. Whoa. Years apart. It was like four. So many years. It was apart. a couple years. Was it like some L.A. hotel? No, it was in. Was it London? It was in London. She was renting a flat in London. Um, we'll get there. Yeah, it was well, only like a, a couple years. It might have been a year later. I think it was a year. Yeah, it was. It was that not not right too to long afterwards. But we'll fact check once. It's crazy. <laughs> Let's go stay there. Uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Ghost hunt. <laughs> so first, we want to acknowledge our sources. Wikipedia. Of course, and there's an article. So I tried to find uh, authors for all of these, but not all of them had authors listed. Yeah, yeah drmarkin.com. Okay, and there was a that article was Cass Elliot Young Death from Morbid Obesity. Mm-hmm. There was an article called Forgotten Diva Could Be a Mean Old Mama yeah, by was, Tony Clayton Leah. That was from the irishtimes.com. And then there was <laughs> um, a blog, a London blog called The Great When, that's W-E-N. An article called No One's Getting Fat Except Mama Cass, that was on gender. Um, <sighs> Biography.com had a great little segment on it. And then The Truth About Cass Elliot by the Legacy staff. Yeah, from legacy.com. So those were our sources. Um, there is a little bit of a trigger warning on this one um as with the karen carpenter one it is dealing with weight issues um and body image issues body dysmorphia and shit like that it it's could be triggering to some people um now cass elliott may no longer be a household name but she was very well known in the 1960s counterculture movement as being mama cass in the mamas and the papas she stood out and not only for her incredibly powerful voice but also, unfortunately, because of her size. Mm-hmm. And as we discussed in the Karen Carpenter episode, those in the spotlight, especially women, are expected to be skinny. Yep. Now, Cass struggled with weight her entire life. And even in death, she was the subject of a nasty lie that was poking fun at her for being overweight. We're going to set the record straight and hopefully do Cass's story some justice. But as with all of our stories, it's going to end in tragedy. So Ellen Naomi Cohen was born in Baltimore, Maryland on September 19th, 1941. Her parents were Bess and Philip Cohen, and all of Ellen's grandparents were Russian Jewish immigrants. Fun fact. (laughs) Uh, Her family had to deal with a lot of crap during her childhood, financial stresses. Her dad, Philip, was actually trying out all these different business ventures in order to make money for the family and had several failed attempts, but he had one that was that stuck. He was successful in the development of a lunch wagon business in Baltimore that brought mm-hmm. meals to construction workers. So basically, he invented the food truck. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, that's, that's awesome. so cool. But her mother was a nurse. Um, and so they kind of they did pretty well. Um, she also had two siblings, Joseph and Leah. And Leah also became a singer and recording artist, just like her big sis. Cute. 
So Eleanor family, they spent a lot of their earlier years in Alexandria, Virginia. Shout out. Yeah. I guess. Before they moved back to Baltimore when she was 15. Go Orioles. And she actually got the nickname Cass in high school, playing around with stage names. And this was, you know, in reference to an actress at the time called Peggy Cass. Me, I was born with this name. (laughs) So she she picked up this nickname looking for stage yeah she was just she knew she wanted to be on stage and was like you know what ellen (laughs) nobody famous is named ellen yeah i got confused when i said ellen i was like wait her name yeah okay we'll get there (laughs) so if you're confused about why we're saying ellen it's Cass. um she snagged the title elliot as a last name uh she actually was honoring a friend of hers that passed away in high school so she's Cass Elliot throughout high school. And what do all of us high schoolers like to do in our spare time? Drugs. <laughs> That's right. She becomes interested in theater. No. <laughs> she was a theater kid. Don't yeah. hate on them. I was a theater kid. Um, so she snags a role, a small role. It was in a play called The Boyfriend in a summer stock production at a theater in Maryland. So this was actually a starting point for her. She decided that she did not need any more school she was gonna drop out move to new york city and just try to make it as an actress yeah (laughs) i'm gonna go to broadway get this she's out of high school for just a tiny bit of time she's in new york it's 1962 she's touring like she gets on a touring musical of the music man which is like a huge deal Mm -hmm. she auditioned but lost the part of miss marmelstein and i can get it for you wholesale she lost the part to Barbara Streisand. Streisand. You can't be mad at that. Yeah. You can't I be mean, mad about losing out to Barbara. Competing with her. I mean, that, that just shows the level of um, people she was competing with. Right. So the that's competitiveness. Pretty and that, that early, too. So since acting was kind of an on and off gig, she had to take odd jobs in the city. You know, she was working as a cloakroom attendant at the showplace, which was located in Greenwich Village. Um, she would often sing there while she worked, and, but at this point, she wasn't thinking about a music career. And I also looked up more information on what kind of shows were at the showplace because you honestly, I was expecting someone like heard her singing and put her on stage, but it doesn't exist anymore. There is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> All I could find was like an antique store in NYC called. Probably the don't have a coat room there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless it's full of antique coats. I don't know. That would make some sense. (laughs) So Cass actually considered a singing career for the first time after she moved to Washington, D.C. D.C. At this time, though, the folk scene was like up and coming. Mm -hmm. She had crossed paths with a bunch of different singers, but she actually ended up being with a, a banjoist and singer named Tim Rose and singer John Brown. They formed a band performing as the triumvirate 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 Triumph. it's I just, triumvirate okay well don't make me say it again <laughs> it's a stupid name um, <laughs> anytime we have to say it again name. i'll say it okay <laughs> that is so, a stupid name in 1963 john brown got replaced by a different singer named james they changed their name to the big three mm. and record the song called wink and blink and a nod Gross. which sounds like a nursery rhyme to put children to sleep but yeah creepy. i don't know creepy nursery rhyme <laughs> It was released by FM Records. So the group recorded two albums together, but they started to kind of fall apart. So Cass with Hendrix, James Hendrix, the new singer, formed a new group called Cass Elliott and the Big Three with 
Zal Yanofsky and Denny Doherty. And I read in an article on The Guardian that, like, if she was unable to zip up her dress on stage because she was dealing a lot with, like, weight gain at this point in time, she didn't give a fuck. She'd be like, sew so two bed sheets together and let me get out there. Like, she didn't care. So while most people at this point in time were focused on her size, she didn't, she just wanted to be on stage performing. Yeah. Also, they weren't making costumes for people that big. They still right. don't. Yeah, and so. <laughs> she was just she was just rolling with it and yeah, like, you know what? Her. If we're going to be making fun of me, like I'll make fun of me too. It's fine. I don't care. Put some bed sheets on me. I'm going to perform. That's funny that you mentioned bed sheets because there's more. There is that. more with there's bed more sheets more later. With bed yeah, sheets. that's why I thought that was interesting. Yes. So, in 1964, the group performs an open mic night at the Bitter End in Greenwich Village and were billed by the venue as Cass Elliot and the Big 3, which is what they were going for at the time. So the Bitter End, according to their own website, is now New York City's oldest rock club. The roster of musicians that have played the venue is massive. I mean, you're talking everybody from Miles Davis to Lady Gaga. It's crazy. So soon after, the Big Three changed their name to the Mugwumps. Gross. Don't make me say that again. Um, That's such a disgusting this, they're, they're not really good at coming up with names. No. So, learning. and, you know, foreshadowing, the group only lasted eight months. Uh, Cass, rightfully so, decided to go solo. She's like, I'm not working with anyone else. It, she always joined groups with men. Like, why? Mm. Kind of do your own thing. So, yeah. Zal teamed up with John Sebastian to form the Love and Spoonful. Summer in the City. While Denny Doherty joined a band called the new journeyman which included john phillips and michelle phillips it was his wife denny convinced Cass to join their group and she actually ended up i guess she went on vacation with them they were in the virgin islands and that's when she officially was like i'm gonna join your group now mm -hmm. i guess it was all expenses paid so she'd, <laughs> she'd previously worked with denny but he went and joined a couple and was like this is awkward let me invite my other friend. But then <laughs> let's start the mugwomps. No, it wasn't like a four. It wasn't a four way. Let me tell you. <laughs> Not at all, dude. It was all fucked up. Yeah, we'll get they into were the love literally making there. fun of her. Okay. So, so while the group is in the Virgin islands, Cass slams her head into a copper tubing that was exposed in a construction zone, kind of behind the bar. What the uh, fuck? The, so <laughs> she gets a concussion. She has to go to the hospital. The concussion caused a headache for her for two consecutive weeks. Can oh. you imagine like literal pain? That would be so terrible. <laughs> so when the pain subsides, she swore she was able to sing at a higher range. Like she smacked herself so dang hard that her voice changed. Yeah, you like the next rehearsal after the concussion, yeah. she went all of a sudden she, she could sing higher. She was an octave high. higher. I don't know. So the copper somehow improved her vocals uh, you can also find her interview in Rolling Stone magazine to confirm it. Ouch. I just see like a record label exec being like, so what's your story? You Copper know? pipes. And she's like, well. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what it was because I, I read that her, okay, so remember we had the whole story with Patsy Cline where she nearly died of rheumatic fever and she woke up with yeah. a killer voice. That makes more sense because it has to do with your chest and shit sure. like that. But uh, according to the legacy article that we cited earlier, mama was bullshitting um, friends and family that had known her beforehand said that she always had an incredible range but uh, the real problem for the new journeyman was her weight so when yeah. she she said this and this was just like oh well I can sing better now and they're like okay um, sure yeah yeah I mean, John Phillips was reluctant to hire her because of her weight yeah and yeah because he's a fucking dick bag. all of a sudden absolutely he's a dick yeah but sorry all of a sudden she gets hit in the head with this pipe and now she can sing high and now they she have got hit with the pipe she yeah. got pipes bullshit it's yeah <laughs> so yeah essentially 
until this point, you know, her vocals were getting better, but John Phillips didn't even want her in the band at all because she was too fat, which is rude. It's rude as hell. What does it matter? I, like, I, I built sing. up a lot of hatred for this man while writing this thing. He's a dick. I hated um, the other guy, Denny. Oh, anyway, really? We'll I there. thought Denny was not so bad. But no. uh, anyways, according to Papa John's fucking autobiography, he was writing about this after the fact, like when she was dead. Um, he complained about her voice being too low. He said it wasn't going to fit in with his arrangements. And then he complained about Write her weight, better. even though it was something she had struggled with her entire life. He wrote it into a song as a joke. The song is called Creek Alley. And the line from the song is, no one's getting fat except Mama Cass. If that weren't enough, he also complained about her temperament, saying that the two just didn't get along. I wonder why. Yeah, because you keep her calling fault. her fat, you fucking asshole. <laughs> like, he's just the worst. Honestly, like, I'm so glad he gets what's coming to him later. Anyways. So since the band now had two women in their group, they were just calling themselves the journeymen, and it was not... It was counterproductive, honestly. There's women there. Like, change it. So... The group's hanging out, they're watching TV, they're just drinking, having a good time, and they're just trying to, like, rename themselves. Mm -hmm. I still say anything is better than mugwumps. So the group, they're channel surfing, they're drunk, they're throwing out names like Magic Circle, and Circle is spelled C-Y-R-C-L-E. God, stop. Yeah. They're terrible. They were doing it back then, too. (laughs) So it almost stuck because they could not find anything better, Uh, but then they were watching hell's angels on the carson show mm-hmm. the show played and one of the actors said now hold on there hoss some people call our women cheap but we just call them our mamas this struck a chord with Cass, who jumped up and down and said yeah i want to be a mama <laughs> and michelle agreed i mean they're drunk they're like i want to be a mom and then so they looked over at john and he was like the papas they agreed they continued drinking until they passed out productive session yeah enter the mamas and the papas. That's when you wake up the next day and you're like, what's the name of our mamas and papas? All <laughs> like, right. Did they write it down before they pass Is that out? still good in the morning? All right. Yeah. I guess it is. It holds up. It's better than mug, mug womps. Honestly, yeah. it's still, I don't think it's a good name, but it's better than their other ones. <laughs> the big yeah, three. That's true. The big three mug womps. <laughs> Just combine them all together. So this is where things start to get hairy with that like foursome we talked about. Mm-hmm. Denny, this piece of shit, he goes on and starts an affair with Michelle, who is married to John. And Denny also claimed Cass was in love with him, too. Like, talk about conceited. Well, oh, she she had a crush on Denny, and then she was pissed when she found out that he supposedly, was Supposedly, in his own words. So, obviously, mm-hmm. she could have just been annoyed that he was potentially starting a rift into the band. Like, if they're doing yeah. well, yeah. I think that's more likely than him, her just being so mad. Whether she liked him or not she had reason to be mad because they were in a band and it's like He's okay not only are you betraying yeah. your other bandmate she's like I'm you're go fucking solo again. your bandmate i mean that's just it's just right. a terrible idea yeah you're so, not supposed to do that so denny claimed that cast proposed to him once but he was too stoned to respond cast proposed so to him she, so yeah she would have beat him up i don't know that's uh i don't I think know she could have she could have liked him they seemed like they were good friends they were in a band before he invited her to be in this band he obviously had some sort of care for her whether that was romantic or not right but he started fucking michelle <laughs> which was the dumbest idea but sure. honestly john sucks so they both suck anyway yeah. <laughs> cast gets married in 1963 to james hendrix who was in her previous band the big three and the mugwumps the she mugwumps. just can't let it go y'all my so, <laughs> supposedly this was actually a platonic agreement to help james avoid being drafted in vietnam 
Um, the marriage was never consummated. It was annulled in 1968. In 1965, the Mamas and the Papas broke onto the U.S. charts with California Dreamin', which is a fun, like, psychedelic folk sort of tune. It happens to be number 89 on the Rolling Stones' top 500 songs of all time. It's also in Forrest Gump. <laughs> okay. Cassie's cool. favorite. Most people's that is favorite, her favorite movie. movie. It's a great movie. Um, and it is a really beautiful song. It's written by, uh, it was written by the Phillips both John and Michelle on a cold winter day. They were in New York City. They just wanted to be in L.A. in the summer. Um, and there's also an improvised flute solo, which is always fun. Yeah. That song understandably got some airplay in L.A. because, well, that's what it's talking about. But it took a Boston radio station adding it for the song to finally gain traction. And then their follow-up single and only number one hit came the following year in 1966 with Monday Monday. Side note, check out the playlist. Um, that song also won the Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals and was also nominated for Best Performance by a Vocal Group, Best Contemporary Song, and Record of the Year. I wonder what else they were up against. In 1966, it was probably, probably some really some good, good stuff. Shit. But yeah. as far as vocal groups go, I don't know. Their harmonies were fucking badass. Um, but this was after all of the nonsense between Michelle and Denny, too. And it's honestly a wonder that they were able to continue as a band after that. But John forgave the two. And in 1966, Michelle was already stepping out again, this time with Gene Clark from The Birds. Um, and after that, John decided she's got to go. Oh, I don't know if he was like, I should divorce her and fire her, or it seems like he was just like, Bull. she's out of the band. <laughs> so um, they spoke to their record label and served Michelle with a letter of expulsion in June of 66. <laughs> so she was soon replaced with Jill Gibson, who had previously recorded with Jan and Dean, which is one of the surf rock bands we mentioned in the Beach Boys episode. And while Jill was not as charismatic on stage as Michelle had been, she generally did a good job learning and performing the songs. So yeah. it was it was pretty chill Straight off. <laughs> that's so funny because Cass and Michelle stayed friends after yeah interesting okay you can't have that kind of turmoil in a group man I mean look Michelle Stevie Nicks knows like they all know you can't fuck your bandmates <laughs> yeah you have to like make that a dead set rule that, that this can't happen yeah. Yeah. Because Absolutely. it's going to ruin I, our band. Um, yeah. Especially if your bandmates are literally married to each other. Well, I was going to say, yeah. like, I think it's only worked with Jack White and Meg White. Because he told everyone that she was his sister. So no one would ask those questions. And they were but weren't like, they already together right, before they became right. a band? Or did they were they, they were in a band? Married. The they, were married. they were married, though. But, I mean, obviously they weren't, like, sleeping around or anything with other people. Right. Well, but, I think like, it's different being in a band with your significant other than it is being in right. a band and fucking your bandmate. You know, Cass was also, um, she posed nude for Cheetah Magazine in 67. Go ahead, girl. Pictures? Yeah, pictures. Send pics. <laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> Somebody find We're going to send you a zippered file. I'm Look them up. <laughs> Cheetah Magazine, 1967, Cass. Are they on the air? Or on the air? Are they on the web? Um, yeah, the, oh, yeah. Are they on the web? Check them out. Go look at <laughs> wow. it. Wow. We'll saying? post it up on Instagram. All right, so Cass had been getting some action around this time as well, but not in the way that Michelle was. Mm -hmm. um, on April 26, 1967, she actually gave birth to her daughter, Owen Vanessa Elliott. Fun fact, Owen was also a musician who ended up touring with Beach Boys member Al Jardine. Remember him? Yeah, that small guy the world. Big, big teeth, small world. <laughs> <laughs> the world does look like a whole lot smaller when you got those kinds of chompers. <laughs> 
And food is smaller, too. Cass never publicly identified Owen's father, but years after, Owen was actually able to identify him as Chuck Day, who was a musician that worked with the Mamas and the Papas in 1967. <gasps> Investigative discovery. So, <laughs> according to a Rolling Stone article, Cass took... Oh, she took acid several times while she was pregnant with Owen, telling the magazines that the drugs never would harm her child. It was all a vicious plot by the establishment. I don't think science okay. was there yet <laughs> to be able to make that assumption. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't trust think, the science. I no, I don't think that that's good. I wouldn't. I'm just going to go on a hunch there. Um, so honestly, Strain had been developing with the group from the beginning. Sure. The whole John being a dick to Cass for no reason, uh, Michelle and Denny being dicks to John. Um, and then in June of 1967, they were supposed to f- perform at the huge Monterey International Pop Festival. They did, but it was not great. Denny showed up last minute and a little bit, you know, he was drunk. He had been drinking heavily following the affair with Michelle. Um, they didn't get to rehearse properly. John and Michelle were distracted anyways because they were helping to try and organize the festival. So this pretty much, they, they looked at that as the height of their career and it was all downhill from there very short-lived mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so in september of 67 john announced the group was going to be taking a break but first they'd play their scheduled shows in london and paris and while they were in england Cass was actually arrested for stealing bed sheets from mm-hmm. the hotel that she had stayed at yeah now she denied the stolen sheets um she was actually strip searched and spent the night in police custody. Like, what? Who fucking cares? Where is she going to put sheets? She yeah. going to hide them? Like, come on. This she was a, strip shirts for bed sheets. This is another story that is like, allegedly, like there was really something behind the scenes that her label covered up for, right? We will get there. Cool. So, there was no evidence. So, the charges were dropped and the case was dismissed by the West London Magistrates Court. This incident caused the band to have to cancel their upcoming British tour. So I guess some press is bad press. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> also, who takes someone to court over bed sheets? <laughs> so uh, supposedly the police handled Cass pretty roughly throughout the arrest. Uh, there was speculation it was because she was dating a man at the time named Pick Dawson. Mm-hmm. Who names their kid Pick, that? P-I-C. You're a drug dealer if your name's Pick. He was believed yes. to be involved in a major drug smuggling operation. Yeah, and they thought it was like international drug smuggling so it was like a big fucking deal big a deal um and not only were the blankets missing there was also like an issue with an unpaid bill once she got arrested she left her boyfriend in charge of of paying it and he didn't do it and then when she was questioned by the police it said that they really only were asking her about her boyfriend on the subject of international drug trafficking so it wasn't even about the sheets nobody gave a fuck about sheets she they were trying. just looking for a reason to she was strip shirts um, for drugs interrogator no. they're gonna yes. say we're gonna fucking throw the book at you over the stupidest little thing they wanted her to rat on you, him yeah Tell us about the mattress. Was it filled with cocaine? <laughs> Pig Dawson actually died of a drug overdose in 1980. Ironic. Hmm. But he was also circulated with rumors of being connected to the Manson family murders. Dawson knew several of the victims because he supplied drugs to them. And after the murders took place, the police were informed that the bloody pig, like the word pig was written in blood across yeah. Sh- Sharon Tate's wall. It actually was like it said pick. Yeah, pig. I mean, that makes oh. some sense. 
cast introduced actor Michael Caine to a slew of people during a Hollywood party, one of them being Charles Manson himself. Yikes. Yeah. So once they were back home from London after this whole Sheets thing, they threw a party because she was acquitted. Um, There was apparently (laughs) a huge blow up at the party. John tried to mansplain and correct Cass about her own arrest as she was trying to tell the story to Mick Jagger. I'm sorry, was he there? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I don't think he would have been there when she was strip searched. And that's why it's like, shut the fuck up, John. So she got really pissed off because she's talking to Mick Jagger and telling him the story. And then John literally interrupted her and said, she's got it all wrong. That's not how it went at all. And then after she she ended up like fucking screaming at him. And after their fight, the mamas and the papas went their separate ways. How dare you talk to me that way (laughs) in front of fucking Mick Jagger? Yeah, she was like, shut up. You weren't there like this happened to me. Shut up. God, John sounds like such a super douche. Yeah, I hate him. Um, So she was done with the group, (laughs) but she did end up actually reconciling with John to release the papas and the mamas in 1968 and that album did not chart it it just didn't go anywhere at this point it's october 1968 and mama Cass makes her first debut solo at caesar's palace in vegas so she was scheduled for a three-week stint at forty thousand dollars per week two shows a night what Forty thousand. I I had to make oh sure I was God. reading the number correctly. Also. That nice. sounds like a yeah, lot. It's a lot. So I mean, and Caesar's Palace is a big deal. Cass decided to go on a crash diet for six months before the show was scheduled, and she lost a whopping one hundred pounds. She was originally three hundred pounds. Apparently, she was fasting for four days a week. Like she was not eating for four <sighs> days straight, and that, that is not- super unhealthy to lose one hundred pounds in six months. Yeah. So this quick loss of weight actually caused more problems for Cass. She had stomach ulcers throat problems and so instead of seeing a doctor she remedied herself by drinking milk and cream (laughs) which caused her to regain Mm. 50 pounds back in the process and then she told friends she had spent weeks throwing up and most weren't sure if it was because she was really sick or if she was just trying to lose the weight again yeah and i think that milk and cream are not good for ulcers like that makes it worse yeah probably suffering from uh like reflux though and the the acidity from the ulcers she was probably trying to drink milk to to you know, like well, that. This caused pain. some of the same problems that we talked about with Karen Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said in that episode, you can be anorexic at any weight, and it's exactly. very, very dangerous for your body when you starve yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1969, Cass wrote a magazine article called What a Way to Lose 110 Pounds. And in the article, she said, this is this whole thing is a quote. She said, I've invented a fabulous new diet. It costs only $2,000 for each pound you lose. It also weakens your natural resistance to disease. I can't guarantee it, but the Mama Cass diet can give you acute tonsillitis, hemorrhaging vocal cords, mononucleosis, and a dangerous case of hepatitis. At least that's what it did for me. I lost my health and more than a quarter of a million dollars in earnings as a singer. I lost weight, all right. 110 pounds, but I wouldn't recommend my diet to anyone, mainly because I didn't see a doctor. Why? Because I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I was in a hurry to weigh 110 pounds and I still am. My diet formula was very simple, starvation. For five months, I fasted from Monday to Thursday, eating nothing and drinking only water, plus an occasional glass of orange juice. On Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, I limited myself to one evening meal of steak and a green vegetable. Sometimes I'd also allow myself a half cup of cottage cheese in the morning. 
In the article, she also commented on her outlook. She said, I don't care what anyone says. It's no fun to be heavy. I'm a naturally happy person, but Mm. there were times when I was so depressed about my weight that I would stay home so people wouldn't even see me. All my life, I've used my weight as a defense against the world, as an excuse so that I don't have to compete with other women. I told myself I was different and therefore special. It was a cop out. There is a an article that I've seen um, screenshots floating around of like a 1960s diet magazine that was a, you eat a hard boiled egg at lunch and dinner and then you drink like a bottle of white wine a day and like that's it. <laughs> yeah. For long <laughs> fast is just eating <laughs> eggs and drinking wine. But only two eggs a day. So yeah, you two have to eggs and a up. whole bottle of wine. What was up with their fucking gelatin? back then Dude, they had obsessions with that shit it's hot like, dog jello like it just freaks me hot out. dog jello they had meatloaf jello <laughs> so her health you know as she said continued to get worse and she decided to stay in bed for three whole weeks before her first performance in vegas was supposed to happen she still wasn't seeing a doctor she was just like if i stay in bed it'll be okay all of her behind the scenes staff, her music director, band producer, you know, production supervisor, band producer. What the fuck <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Look. Productor. Everybody behind the scenes. Conductor. Her music director, production supervisor, wow. her entire band, they had to put the show together themselves while she was bedridden. Now, before the show even opened, she was scheduled to rehearse for three days, like three full days of rehearsal, because it was a big show. Yeah, but that's exhausting. But she only managed to get through one run through before she noticed she started losing her voice. She rested the rest of rehearsal, drinking tea with lemon. That's Lemon is not going to help. You need honey. And then (laughs) she crossed her fingers, basically wanting to be able to pull off the show when it was showtime. Just the fingers crossed. God, nerve wracking. Yeah. Especially being a singer. Yeah. But you know, as a singer, lemon is bad for you, right? Uh, Acidity. Yeah, I would think that that would be. I mean, I know a lot. That was bad for her because of her fucking ulcers. Yeah. Because she's just eating all of the worst things. The steak. Orange juice gets me, and I'm almost 30. Yeah. (laughs) Steak, orange juice. Stay away from the citric acid if you have any kind of acid reflux. It's like a recipe for. Get that girl some Tums. I wish they probably didn't even have it back then. They had chalk. Mm. It's fine. That's yeah. true. Just eat a Gross. bunch of chalk. Here's some chalk. Some Feel better. Chalk, seriously. <laughs> she wasn't seeing a doctor. It's it's a home remedy. I made it up. Okay. So <laughs> opening night, it brought 950 pe- people. <laughs> it brought 950 people. <laughs> Pebbles. Why can't I speak when I like read my own writing, but I could like Ooh, spout off an entire... Okay. Rap. So... Y'all want to hear hot in here, but Nelly. <laughs> I mean, I am getting how so much hot. Time you got okay. So opening night brought 950 people filling the Circus Maximus Theater at Caesar's Palace on Wednesday, October 16th. The audience included some musicians as well. Liza Minnelli was there, Joan Baez, Jimi Hendrix, Sammy mm. Davis Jr. All her friends. They were hanging out. Jimmy cool crowd jimmy was there so backstage Cass came down with a pretty high fever and a lot of her friends urged her manager to cancel the show but Cass obviously knew it wasn't too important and she was like i'm gonna keep doing it it's fine mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be okay we'll do it so since she was so ill and barely rehearsed 
it wasn't long before the show started just falling apart. <laughs> her voice was so weak and the mm. audience could barely hear her and they were definitely not happy about that. Yeah. So knowing that the show sucked, at the end of it, Cass returned to the stage to let the audience know that this is the first night and it will get better. That's so sad. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> so she then belts out her, ren- or her rendition of Dream a Little Dream of Me. And as she exited the stage, the audience was like a... It was like a half-assed clap, slow, a slow for clap. Her. Not even a okay. slow clap. They were just like, is that it? Like, this is what we paid for? I guess slow uh. clap. Yeah, so <laughs> since there were two performances per night, you know, she had to come back on stage and perform again, again the same night. She had to return later on stage, and her voice was even worse. Most of the audience left, and they were loud about leaving. Oh, Like, it wasn't so even sad. like, let's sneak out of the back. They were like, this is bullshit, and then we'll leave. <laughs> Uh, which sucks people weren't throwing anything where uh, no okay, not that i saw good. so reviews for the show were bad and most headlines called the show a disaster comparing it to the titanic because it sunk i don't know oh my god uh, that's what it was good movie though <laughs> so rumors began here that Cass was on drugs because she'd supposedly been drugging up weeks before the show that's what you know why she was gone and that's what caused her to flop in a later published book dream a little dream of me the life of Cass elliott author eddie fiegel wrote that Cass admitted to a boyfriend that she had actually shot heroin right before she went on to stage that night that would put a damper on things. yeah so and then david crosby published a later memoir with author carl gottlieb where he stated that he and Cass used opiates cocaine and heroin together and they both preferred using heroin in london because it was easily available first of all why are you sharing your friend's information like that like, um, who Dave, are you? <laughs> David Crosby's kind of an asshole. I don't know if you saw recently, but when Eddie Van Halen died, you like if you don't like Van oh, Halen, no, that's fine. Like, shut don't, your mouth about it. You don't have to say, say anything. But he right. went on Twitter and was like, mm, "Who cares? I didn't like him that much." And his son was like, "That's my fucking father. Like, that's a human being that you're talking about." And you, because you didn't like Van Halen. You just want to shrug yeah. it off like it didn't affect real life people because of all the bad press. The show closed after only one night. All mm. of that time and effort and money gone. So Cass actually flew back to L.A. for a tonsillectomy. However, the whole experience embarrassed the crap out of her. And she fell into like a depressive state after the incident. Yeah, like, it's understandable. I can imagine. I mean, it was her big breakout as like a solo artist right. to have that show. And then one fucking night and like, it canceled. And it. 900 like, people doesn't sound that much when you think of like a festival. But when you think an intimate theater setting where people are like seated and like ready to see you perform, the pressure is so much more stacked. Everyone there was people she knew or they were other musicians. Yeah, like, it's her opening yeah. That's a lot Dude, like, is of there, pressure. That's, it's amazing. And I, I've worked a ton of shows in, in rooms like that size mm-hmm. and theaters. And even for a band on stage, it's so much more intimate and terrifying. It's like a Broadway. So you have, you know, backdrops and costume yeah. changes and like, you know, lighting design like, and all with, this different shit that's kind of right. built around one you. Yeah. So to have this situation where it just completely bombs and you can't sing as a singer like i can only imagine how how yeah and it sucks because she was really looking forward to it like she'd spent months preparing for it but she was preparing in the wrong way like if you're getting ready for a show 
I'm assuming that you are going to be doing a lot of moving around and dancing and whatever. So getting up your stamina more would be a better idea, I would think, than starving yourself and, and, laying and in bed staying in bed for three yeah. weeks. Like you Being need weak. to you need to get used to moving around and singing at the same right. time. Because when the mamas and the papas performed, they were not doing anything choreographed or like they were right. just kind of like a and singing and dancing is fucking hard. Like you got to get is. your build of your stamina and your breath and be able to move and not get out of breath while you're also singing. And it's because of John. It's because guys like john fucking phillips that she wasn't confident she'd yeah. just be like enough i am gonna own this shit and people i already got this badass gig yeah. without losing any weight i'm already yeah, badass because he took the focal right. point off of her but, voice and made it right. about her weight and the, it sucks so bad that it got to that point where she had this opportunity and she more or less like threw it away trying to get skinny Right. It's like so yeah. ironically when people, people lo- knew her and loved her and wanted to see yeah. her because she was a great singer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it wasn't about her weight. She didn't need to. I mean, if you want to be healthier and whatever and lose weight, that's cool. But like to do it for the purpose of this opening night is this night and I have to weigh this much weight. It's- so like I said before, Cass is a force. She was funny. She was optimistic. Everybody loved her. I mean, except John at first. And I guess Denny didn't love her either. And either, well, <laughs> he loves Michelle and Joni loves Chachi. We get it. Yeah. Like We get it. <laughs> so Cass was actually the most charismatic member of the Mamas and the Papas. And despite the awful performance, she returned to the public eye in 69 <laughs> because she was asked to appear on numerous television shows as special guests. She was on Hollywood Squares, the Johnny Cash Show, the Andy Williams Show, the Smother Brothers Comedy Hour, the Carol Burnett Show. And she even hosted for Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show while being his guest 13 times on the show itself. Which wow. is, that's a lot of times. Yeah. In 1969, Cass actually had her own variety special called the Mama Cass Television Program. There's some clips on it online on YouTube. I found a quick little excerpt that described the program as a flower power hour where Cass sings her big hit, Dream a Little Dream of Me, and rare solo versions of the Mamas and the Papas classics. Musicians John Sebastian, Joni Mitchell, and Mary Travers join in for sing-alongs that are pure 60s music utopia. (laughs) They also had come... or. Mm. That's how I'd come. <laughs> yep. That's how I'd come. They also had come in their anuses. No. Why do you sound like a South Park character? <laughs> Comic Buddy Hackett, as well as actors Martin Landau and Barbara Bain, also appear as a pair on humorous sketches with Cass herself. Fun times. So it's kind of like Saturday Night Live. No. Okay, never mind. <laughs> it was a little bit of everything okay, i mean like a variety it, sound show. Like it. it sounded like, like it. a variety show because it was fun okay okay <laughs> no. at this point the mamas and the papas were only continuing to record to meet their terms outlined in their record contract and this was about until 1971 so they were like broken up but they had to put the records out right. because the label and we've heard it before plus they it. wanted to make some money probably well they weren't, I, weren't doing a whole yeah lot their of records that. did not do great so they're just meeting the <laughs> obligations yeah so after that Cass knew she could make it on her own with a solo career so she started touring uh she returned to london solo and she actually admitted to her audience at the London Palladium that she didn't steal the sheet. She had actually taken two because she liked them. <laughs> so <laughs> no, she came back and yeah. was like, yeah, like, I didn't take it. just one sheet. It was two. <laughs> like with the head nod. Oh, and, and one of the pillows was filled with coca can too. No. <laughs> so now it's 1971. Cass marries journalist David Bon What? <laughs> <laughs> I can't read. Okay, so Cass marries journalist Don von Wiedemann. 
Don von Wiedemann. That is such a weird name. Don von Wiedemann. Yeah, that's it. It rhymes. I like it. It also said he was the heir of something, and I couldn't figure out what the heck it was, so I just ignored that. He was a baron. (laughs) What does that mean? Oh, it's like a German fancy man. It's like a a German count. (laughs) He was a man on a horse with a helmet. So she was a baroness then, right? No, because their marriage only lasted a few months. Oh, so she was a baroness for just a few months. Yes. Okay. So in addition to all the shows and variety hours that Cass was a part of, in 1973, she actually sang the jingle for Hardee's. <laughs> yes, the establishment has been around that long. I had no idea either. It's one of the yeah. oldest chains really? in fast oh. food. It kills McDonald's. The jingle wow. was, and I quote, hurry sing on it, down. Sing it. Hurry on down to Hardee's where the burgers are chocolate boiled. <laughs> it doesn't sound appetizing. I don't sounds know who's like the doing their. <laughs> yeah, true. Charcoal broiled sounds disgusting. Yeah, I was like, who me. was in charge of their marketing? Because what? Yeah, for some yeah. reason, when you put the co at the end, the charcoal broiled sounds dirty. It sounds like uh, gasoline or something. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. Cass wanted to continue her acting career as well, so she scored more guest appearances on TV. She was in the new Scooby-Doo movies when they were new at that time. Oh. Obviously not the remakes of the yeah. newer ones. Um, she was on the Red Skelton show and plenty others. It's all listed online. There were too many to name. I was over it. She's hilarious. So, so she did end up returning to, she wanted to be in theater and was right. like on TV all the so time. She was Makes just, sense. Yeah, she was entertainment all the way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she hired on Alan Carr as her manager to kind of revamp her style. And she wanted to leave the pop and rock scene and hit the cabaret market, which is not something you hear every day. They developed a show together, pulling in her old standard song formulas, but mixed in like new content, songs written, forecasts by her friends. And they called the show Don't Call Me Mama Anymore because it was named after the song that her friend had written for her, um, Earl Brown. Like, but also she didn't want to be called mama anymore. Everyone yeah. was still doing it. Everybody else had successfully moved on from the group and they weren't being called right. mama or papa or whatever, right. but she was. Initially, though, we're going to rewind. It's she like, was the one to say she wants to be called mama. That's true. So it's kind of like Hootie and the Blowfish, right? Darius right. Rucker. Yeah. If you call him Hootie, he'll like beat you up. He gets pissed. No. <laughs> I mean, Supposedly. don't call your band Hootie and the fucking Blowfish. <laughs> Yeah. If you're a singer-songwriter with a band and you call your band Hootie and the Blowfish. I don't know. Your band's called Bennett Wales and the Relief. I'd be shocked if you told me that the lead singer's name wasn't Bennett Wales. Exactly. Like, come on. Obviously, the song that was written, you know, was poking fun at the fact that Cass was still called Mama Cass. Years after she was no longer part of the group, she was fed up and frustrated and definitely just trying to rebrand herself like we had mentioned. They debuted the show in Pittsburgh on February 9th, 1973, which led Cass to confront her embarrassment from the like last Las Vegas debacle you know mm-hmm. she hadn't performed in a show that she had done herself yeah people probably point. expected it to yeah. tank too. yeah honestly but the show actually gained her rave reviews with journalists emphasizing the point that Cass is no longer Mama Cass after the premiere did so well Cass actually took the act around the country to perform on April 22nd 1974 Cass collapsed on the set of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson right before she was supposed to take the stage. She was taken and treated at a local hospital in Burbank but was released and she didn't think much of this incident because she just thought she was exhausted. She was mm-hmm. constantly moving. Yeah. So yeah. it was I mean it was not common for her to I guess be tired or not she uncommon. Was, oh yeah. Yeah, cuz she was touring at that point right. and, you know across the country that would be f- 
That would be exhausting. And then you have your agent that's like, oh, you're going to do a voiceover for Scooby-Doo. Oh, you're going to be on this. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. So in July, she performed a week of concerts back at the London Palladium. Claims were made that all of these shows were sold out, but many in attendance noticed she was playing to less than half of the seats. After hmm. the gig was up at the Palladium, she went on a two-day celebration, a.k.a. Bender. Woo woo. Know about that. <laughs> Get it. Their first stop was at her boy Mick Jagger's house. Mm-hmm. Um, then she hit up a brunch in her honor put on by singer and actress Georgia Brown. She left the brunch to attend a cocktail party hosted by journalist Jack Martin. She was hitting all the celebs. Mm-hmm. She finally left that party at 8 p.m. Telling at the other party guests that like, I just need to go to bed, y'all. You know, I've been up for a day. So she headed to singer songwriter Harry Nelson's house. Yep, the lime and the coconut guy. I um, love that song I hate so much. I hate that song. Cassie, you like that song? I love that I song. I love it too. It is. You Alex know, gets so mad Drew at me Drew always puts it on. It. I swear so to God. As soon as I hear the doom. Yeah, I'll walk around the house going, it makes me feel so good. I don't know why, but so, it makes me feel so good. You know how we talked earlier, well, in, in other episodes where you have just a blank slate of mind and you're like monotonously doing something and your brain is empty but you have to fill it with something and that song is one of the other ones that just comes around on repeat it fills in a great void oh it's amazing (laughs) so anyway kudos to her for being his friend um she sounds fun i would (laughs) yeah she knew everybody she seems like a blast oh my god he let her stay with him and she had called michelle who was also no longer a mama and told her that she was receiving standing ovations at the end of each show. She was crying and also drinking champagne, as one does. And she was telling Michelle, basically, she finally had made that transition. She was so happy and just like, I did it. I made it. They're not going to call me mama anymore. Yeah. This was actually the last phone call Cass would ever make. Later on that night, when she was back at her London flat she'd been staying in, she died at the age of 32. In her sleep. In her sleep. The autopsy concluded that her death was due to heart failure, where she had a rapid heart attack on her left side. Cass was also screened to see if there were any drugs in her system at the time of the death, but the autopsy revealed that there was not. Four years after Keith Moon died in the same room. Wild. Four years. And Keith Moon, the the drummer for the Who. Sure, and same age. Yeah. Yeah, same age. Right? Was he 32 also? Wow. Cass actually had the perfect setup for heart failure. She had obesity, extensive use of recreational drugs, crash diets, and a severe lack of exercise the most messed up thing that we've talked about thus far is this rumor that Cassa died choking on a ham sandwich mm-hmm. apparently the first doctor that examined her at the scene also noticed there had been an untouched sandwich and a coke in her room so he just assumed that she choked i mean untouched but like there was a bite taken out of it i, I found some more stuff about why this rumor was spread yeah but yes so when he or when the actual autopsy was performed, the forensic examiner or the forensic examiner Keith Simpson revealed that it was heart failure and no food was found in her windpipe. There so you go. Doctor Gabe Gabe Merkin wrote that it was Cass's manager Alan Carr who started what? the rumors. He thought that she overdosed, um, and he didn't want that information to go public. So he just told a, a reporter he looked around and was like, "Oh, it was a ham sandwich." Yeah, that's uh, not. because that's somehow better. <laughs> no, um, her daughter has 
been fighting to remove this assumption surrounding her death like for years and years and years. I mean, no when doubt. we first talked about this, we we're like, oh yeah, let's look. And that was the first thing that came up when you Googled Still. it. Still, to this day in 2021, it's we were like, wait, what? She died on a hand exam? Like we had no idea. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a rumor people yeah. spread and it, it caught on and it's like, God, you could have said fucking anything, but you had to say that, didn't you? Like yeah. that would just be perfect, wouldn't it? I wasn't very familiar with Mama Cass and when you guys decided to do her as an episode, mm-hmm. like I, I research it like I do. And that was the first thing was yeah. Mama Cass historically, you know, dies from ham sandwich. And it's it's f- disgustingly funny to the media. Like they played it like a fucking like it was a comedy like this girl's yeah, it gets death. More was, yeah, because they're like, don't pull a Mama Cass and choke on her ham sandwich. And it's like, you guys are fucking disgusting. Like that, mm. that, yeah. that they would make it into this kind of joke mm-hmm. when she was like literally a rad human being. That That's the media terrible. And I mean, Super honestly, shame. I bet her manager was very ashamed after the fact for like, why he, did I say that? Yeah, he probably didn't at the time, but the hindsight 2020. If, <laughs> if I were her manager and I did that, I would like spend the rest of my life being like trying to set it straight. Yeah. Like, besides just talking to one reporter, I would, like, literally <laughs> fucking write a book about her yeah, or he something didn't want, to... He didn't, he didn't pull a David Crosby and just tell him everyone that she was using opiates. Yeah. <laughs> her daughter was just seven years old at this point, and the custody of Owen was granted to her sister, or Cass's sister, Leah. Her daughter was taken care of, and she did try to reverse the rumors and set everything straight. Sure. Now, unfortunately, various factors in Cass's life led her to be predisposed to heart failure. Obviously, yeah. uh, the issue of weight was one that she had battled her whole life, but the crash dieting did not help. And reportedly, she didn't have any sort of regular exercise routine, and she ate a pro-inflammatory diet. So I looked at what the fuck does that mean? Mm-hmm. Foods with sugar heart. added, dairy, and meat. That was her main diet. Yeah. The only time she ate per week was a steak and like cottage cheese. That's what they tell you to avoid when you're like pre-diabetic. Yeah. I so mean, she was, she was eating things that were making It was her the diabetic. perfect cocktail also for not, this to happen. Not great for your heart. No. No, it's Red terrible. She was yeah. textbook eating the exact wrong stuff, mm-hmm. like the opposite of what she should have been doing. And as we covered in the Karen Carpenter episode, yo-yo diets and starving yourself is so dangerous. Yep. Um, as you lose fat and muscle, your heart becomes weaker and eventually loses the ability to pump blood through the body and oxygen to the brain, which is, you know, essentially what happened with Karen. Her heart fucked up so mm-hmm. say no to crash diets we've already lost too many good women yeah um, stick to, together yeah come on <laughs> you look great you're a babe to finish this off i found a really sweet article by delaney davis that originally appeared on a website um, or a publication called alma delaney talks about her recent time delving into the 1960s during the 2020 pandemic she started like listening to all of the music and kind of learning more about the 60s and she felt a connection with mama cass as a fellow jewish woman who struggles with body image and weight sure so this is a quote directly from her article she says Cass Elliott carved a place for herself in pop culture in a society still obsessed with maintaining an acceptable, read, skinny figure. When you think of the mamas and the papas, you think of Mama Cass. Her sweeping vocal range made the band what it is today, and she remains one of the most iconic figures of the counterculture era. 
When watching old television performances or looking at old pictures of Cass, I'm struck by how beautiful and powerful she was. With each performance I watched, I noticed the beauty that was not only present in her voice, but in her body as well. She was a force to be reckoned with, someone who not only took up space with her voice, but with her body too. So soulful too, I feel like. Like I feel like she just had she's one of those people that just is just big positive energy. Yeah. In the room. I mean yeah. she sounds awesome. Her. I would love yeah. to hang out with her. Like she sounded like a fucking blast. One of the coolest, weirdest facts I found out about her while just glancing over stuff was that at one point she owed the IRS ten K and she literally like delivered it to the IRS building in pennies. Yes. In a truck I mean, that liked her. What if that was it? her, but the government incited her for contempt. What? Why? She they paid it. Money. Money's money. Like, well, we don't take that. Pennies are legal tender. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, why do you, why are they in circulation if they don't count? And she got off. Her lawyers got her off, but nice. Um, That's this, hilarious. This was like one of the like monumental things that she did. Like that was just radly historical where she went out of her way. $10,000 worth of pennies has to be. She went to a bank and was like, can I have this money, but only in pennies? And they were like, no. Like She probably we, went to 10 banks. Yeah, I mean, she. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, well, yeah. it had to be a lot of work to get a truckload of pennies. Yeah. But I thought that was rad. That's hilarious. So, um, no, the ham sandwich thing was bullshit. And if you ever hear that, I hope you correct people um, yeah. if anybody's talking about it because it's wrong and it's unfair and it was people being jerks. Um, you know, people like John Phillips bullies. Say, say stuff like that. Bullies. Don't be a bully. Wait, you had said it earlier before. You, you you liked that he got what was coming to him. What, his divorce? That was it? Yeah, that his wife was oh. fucking... Everybody else except oh. for him. Bro. Yeah, fuck that guy. Well, it kind of just, I don't know, it kind of just feeds into him being a lame douchebag, and she probably wanted to get away, too. She did. Not that she did it the right way. She should have never married him in the first place. Okay, but. I guess what I should say, cheating is wrong, but I have zero sympathy for John Phillips. Now, in other news, <laughs> now that we've gotten this story done, um, reminder to go find us on spotify you're probably listening on spotify find our other profile and listen to the playlist because the mamas and the pops are pretty cool in the meantime like since we have recorded this podcast a movie came out about billy holiday and we did an episode on her in the first season so um did you get a chance to watch that yet no Okay, well, we it's good. It's it. just I thought so sad. we were going to watch it together, and then you said, we're I'm about sorry. to watch it you now. You should have came over like, and watched it with us. Sorry. This is my face. It's good. Uh, obviously, it so sad. It was really sad. It was kind of a bummer. It's the most unfair fucking story. Mm-hmm. You know? It's the most unfair shit I've ever seen. But, to our credit, we pretty much we got that story correct well, i was worried i was really worried about watching the movie and finding out that all of our research was like that we're stupid and we did a bad job i can't read <laughs> it was to the t and it but it yeah. wasn't just one well good boyfriend. that they did it right she had multiple boyfriends it wasn't just one boyfriend ratting her, her out like yeah. it was like all of these guys like one of the the first guy which we didn't talk about can't was see a woman on top a fucking he was an agent. He was like an FBI agent. Yeah, and that was confusing. Like doing the research, I was trying to figure out where this played in and why the guy who she ended up being with had ratted her out first. So it turns out this man was initially an agent, and he 
came and started hanging around her shows like kind of like a groupie and trying to meet her he was a rat he was a fed and he was trying to trick her and become close to her but then once he actually became close to her and already had ratted her out and she went to jail then he was like i actually like you and i feel like a dick for doing that to you and so then he started to date her and that was we mentioned that in in our story about how this guy who she ended up being with later on ratted her out in the first place and we're like how did this happen like why would she be oh. with this guy yeah the timeline was just a little but it's because he first was a fed and then he was like regretted what he did and felt bad regretted fed yeah and there was also two other boyfriends one was very physically abusive and one was very mentally abusive and then in between you have this dude that right. might have been a good boyfriend if he wasn't a fucking fed rat that like like narked on her yeah uh i mean she just yeah. all around it's from every angle was being fucked over by people who the were most just using unfair her situation sure. and she's like hanging out with louis armstrong she's like about to be this next amazing fucking i mean she is an amazing jazz but jazz badass but what she could have done if she lived as long as bb king or or louis or whatever like she would have been it's sad to to watch someone get that unfair of a shake yeah, for singing a song that's telling the truth. I mean, it was the performance of Strange Fruit on the movie is like, I cried. I was like, oh, I'm sure. I shouldn't watch this imagine, right now because I'm going to Because it's Andra Day who plays her. Mm-hmm. And could you imagine so that song is so historic for the African-American community and the culture can you like that's an honor that's a freaking honor to and have but to that's why the to. fbi went after her was because of that song yeah and she did such it was literally an incredible because of that job yeah good it was beautiful you can cut this part out but like a cd trade came in like after the the movie came out and an andre day cd came in it was 93 dollars on amazon because Ooh. the the movie coming out had skyrocketed everything that she had on amazon wow. the same thing happened with uh, machine gun kelly when they did the fucking motley crew movie oh he was in that it was tommy lee oh i didn't watch that i don't like it's Monster. a shitty movie it yeah, wasn't it wasn't that shitty good bands, so. <laughs> yeah i, I actually agree Whoa. with you on that i agree with you on that um, i don't like Monica. Uh, I think I can name one Motley Crue song and it's Shout to the Devil. Shout at the Devil. Oh. Shout to him. Devil! (laughs) You motherfucker! Come get me. It was was initially Shout with the Devil, but um, they didn't want to get in a a bunch of heat with parents thinking that it was satanic so they were like okay shout at the devil makes it sound like we're saying hey oh i've devil, always thought the song you sounds suck. like it says shout too wait machine gun kelly played tommy lee yeah, yeah. he's blonde yeah tommy they, lee is bl- not ew oh, oh no no no. No. They, no they did his hair i know but i'm like that's they did his hair like and they covered up all his tattoos i don't tattoos. even think machine gun kelly's really blonde tommy lee's gross yeah tommy yeah of course i just hate that band i think they're just pretty gross their dick smell probably <laughs> they probably do all right. Um, <laughs> this has gone on. Wrap it up when you're with Tommy Lee. Oh, long enough. <laughs> we gets to go. Um, thank you for listening to the second season of Death by Music podcast. That was Mama Cass. Next time we're going to be doing Cliff Burton, and I am so goddamn excited for that episode. Oh, that scared me. That was bizarre. Um, yeah, I was like so in love writing that episode it means a lot to me so i'm very excited to cover it next time um thank you so much for listening goodbye oh yeah find us on social media and stuff please share us with your friends please rate us on itunes um and keep listening scissor me timbers check back in later next week and also don't forget to uh rest in peace
Music by Demons, at Demons Band on Instagram. Graphic Arts by Mike Johnson. Writing by Alex Motler and Cassie Gardner. With assistance from Drew Orton.